0: What it's done to our family like being able to just go for a drive in the car and not having to plan out exactly how long we can be and how far we can go we can actually go for a full day and go do something you know it's just it's amazing it really is and I do not miss dialysis at all and I think that's probably half the reason I get upset too is because I really don't want to ever go back on it it's the of
1: in the car, of the is breathing okay at the moment is it a big property? Blood pressure is not coming up. i on if I understood. Thank you. Hi, my name is Lana Mitchell from the Royal Flying Doctor Service. This is a podcast series about life in the bush, mateship, courage, and the role that the Royal Flying Doctor Service plays in serving rural and remote communities. This is the Flying Doctor Podcast. My name is Kira Lee
0: Dargan from the Royal Flying Doctor Service. And I'm an Aboriginal woman of the Rajri Nation. This podcast has been recorded on Ngunnawal land and is being broadcast across all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We at the Royal Flying Doctor Service want to acknowledge elders, past and present. The RFDS recognises that this is First Peoples land and always will be.
1: About a year ago, I interviewed the lovely Danny Horton, who lives in the beautiful but remote 8 Mile Creek on the South Australian coastline near Mount Gambier. In that podcast episode, which is called Young Mother, Dialysis and the Search for a Kidney, Danny walked us through her health journey, from learning as a young 21-year-old that she had kidney failure, to the challenging but rewarding pregnancy with her young daughter who had to arrive premature to save both mother and child. And then Danny's ongoing wait for a kidney as her own kidney function got lower and lower. Honestly, chatting to Danny about her health challenges was enlightening for me as she had such a positive attitude for someone who was hooked up to a dialysis machine four times a day to clean her blood. My last words of that interview were that I hoped the Royal Flying Doctor Service did fly Danny one more time to receive this time a new kidney. And late last year, I received a message from Danny that she had finally come to the end of her weight and was dashing to the hospital as a compatible kidney had become available with the passing of someone. And she had a chance to take the next step on her journey. G'day, Danny. Hi, how are you? (laughs) It's so good to be talking to you again for a follow-up on our first interview. It must've been thrilling to finally get the word that a kidney had become available. How did they inform you and how much time did you have to respond to that offer?
0: So um, with the waiting side of things, I ended up having three phone calls. Um, The first two came and I had to decline the kidneys as um, both kidneys were from people that were age 70. Um, So to expect a little kidney to try and last another 40 years when it was already 70 years old is putting way too much pressure on that poor little organ. So, with the first phone call, I think it was in March, I received it and I had to say no. And it was devastating at the same time because, you know, here I was thinking I was getting my call and life saving organ, and unfortunately had to pass on it. And I was hoping it went to a lady that was uh, about 65, so that was more closer range for her. However, when they got to opening the gentleman up, he was full of cancer. So unfortunately, he was unable to donate his organs. So that was a really sad ending for that one. And then I received another call in, I think it was May or June, and I had to decline that one too, because he was also a 70-year-old donor. So as you can see, it doesn't matter how old you are, your organs are still viable. Like, it really doesn't matter. And then uh, the 4th of November, I received a phone call We'd just got into bed and I was just about asleep and the phone rang. And we'd just nominated our specialist for a uh, Australian Order medal and he'd just received it that week. So I was too busy giving him a mouthful of cheek at 11 o'clock at night and, uh, yeah, not realising what he was actually phoning for. So he was ringing to say, hey, look, you know, I've actually got a kidney for you. That's my reason for calling, not to cop a mouthful of abuse. <laughs> So when it finally clicked, it was just like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I just didn't know what to do. I was just completely – I had a complete blonde moment, shall we put it. I just went completely blank. I didn't know what to say, what to do. And he's like, well, are you going to accept it? Because I strongly advise you do. From what we can see, it's a 95% match, so it's brilliant. I really urge you to think about taking it. And I just looked at my husband and went, well – yeah. Yes, yes, I will take it. So um he basically advised me that uh try and have a sleep and get up first thing the next morning, so the Friday morning and travel on up to Adelaide. So as you'd imagine, got off the phone and sat there sort of dumbstruck <laughs> and looking. And then the next minute I'm up and I'm pacing. <laughs> I just kept pacing the house because I didn't know what else to do and that's usually how I deal with stress. I just walk. <laughs> And uh, so my husband rang his parents and let them know and I then rang my parents and let them know and because we'd actually built a house and we moved back to Mount Gambier now, so I'm not living with my parents now. So they come up and, oh, we'll have a cuppa, all right? So it was just trying to work out, right, what do we need to do? And then it's, oh, do we wake Lucy and let her know? So we wake her and she's like, what are you doing? I'm asleep. It's like, well, we've got the call. And? So the poor little thing didn't know what to say, and she just went back to sleep. And then, um, yeah, Brett's parents come around and picked Lucy up at five o'clock on the Friday morning, and we left at half past five and started our journey to Adelaide. So much for a good sleep, Danny.
1: <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, there was advice, no chance of sleeping. <laughs> the first advice from the specialist was get a good night's sleep, and you did the opposite. Yeah, couldn't. <laughs> you couldn't. So you headed up to Adelaide, and. Um, Look, did you have any news about who the donor was? Do, do they provide any of that information?
0: No, they try to keep it all uh, really confidential and that because, you know, you have to respect that someone's just lost their family member. It's their worst moment ever. Yeah. Um, and, like, for us, it's our greatest moment. So all they said was it was a 95% match, it was coming from interstate um, and that we needed to be there by 12 o'clock Friday and that, yeah, it was just really healthy. It was Everything was looking good. They'd run tests because they have to run tests on HIV, uh, hepatitis, all those sorts of things. Because, um, yeah, you really don't know that you're going to wake up with a kidney until you wake up. And they've said that they've definitely transplanted you because
1: there could be something that they don't find until the time. Similar to the story you were mentioning first up about the, the gentleman who his kidney, you know, they opened him up and it was full of cancer and so they couldn't actually use it. So it really, I guess, becomes this, um, a bit of a roulette, doesn't it? A Russian roulette of... Yeah, yeah. It's, um,
0: it's a hard just like, hard to describe sort of feeling because, like, you're very emotional on the way up. One minute you're laughing, the next minute you're crying because you're grieving for this other family. Um, it's, like, even now it's still just, it's overwhelming because, you know, it's going to save your life, but... Some poor person has just died and just thankfully that their family had had the discussion and were open to donating their organs and their tissues. Um, I'm not sure how many people this person saved, but I know he certainly saved my life. And yeah, it's just one of those things you just don't know until you wake up after the operation. Very, very, very lucky. Is it a long operation? Well, it's more the process of getting ready for the operation. That takes a long time because we pulled up in Adelaide at 11 o'clock and then with all COVID lockdowns and that, we got lost in the Royal Adelaide car park and the transplant team's ringing me going, where are you? We're like, we're in the car park. 15 minutes later, they're ringing again. Where are you now? Still in the car park. (laughs) Because we had to try and find what door was open because they had all these doors shut because of COVID. And uh, we got there eventually. And um, so the minute you get in, you're just running through tests. You're yeah, getting pumped full of stuff to get rid of your immune system because you can't have any immune system at all. So they're filling you up with drugs. You have to have a um, top-to-toe body scrub of um, stuff to get rid of any germs or bacteria that you have on you. Um, yeah, they're just constantly pumping you full of stuff, testing things, and there's so much work up to it. Um, I think I was taken down for surgery at 7 o'clock. That night and then I think Brett got a phone call about half past 10
1: and it was all done and everything was looking good. What's the success rate of a kidney transplant? Like if they actually find the kidney, the kidney's healthy and they actually get that into, what is the success rate of it taking within a person?
0: Um, I think it really depends on the kidney,
1: the way the person's died.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of different factors. The fact that it was a 95% match, that really helps for it to take um like I was really lucky I had a really good surgery everything went well there was no issues because there can be different bits and pieces that pop up through your surgery all in all my surgery went really really well I really happy with everything and within three days I was out of the hospital
1: wow well, I, want, I wanted to ask you one other question too. I hate to make the analogy, but it's sort of a little bit like dating. You're looking for a kidney that's about the same age, that it's eligible, it's available, and it's compatible, you know, for your blood type and body. What are those factors that make the difference for whether a kidney will work for you personally or not? I think it's a lot to do with antibodies and all those sorts
0: of things because not only have you got your blood type and that to work out because I'm O-negative. So it had to be an O-negative kidney. I couldn't uh, receive anything else. Then there's all the antibodies that are in your blood. So if you've had a transplant previously, or I'm not sure whether it's to do with the illnesses or anything, but there's a lot of things that can um, affect your antibodies and stuff. So they do all these different tissue testing, the antibody testing, and it's to try and get the most closest match as possible so that there's less chance of rejection because right. it's all about trying to keep that organ in because like now I'm on lifelong medication of anti-rejection medication, because um, basically my body will try and kill this kidney because it's a foreign object. So right. your body's constantly battling that. So by having the anti-rejection medication, that'll keep it in, but that means you're more susceptible to catching other infections and
1: all that sort of thing. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. So and and they're only transplanting. You've got everybody's got two kidneys, but they were only yep. transplanting one, right? So that means you keep retain one of your own kidneys and have a new one? No, I've got three. You've got three. So they I've leave yours. Z- oh, you've got to tell me about that. All right. I want to know more about that. <laughs> so
0: it's um it's a lot safer for people to keep their kidneys. It's a lot less dangerous surgery. So the main reasons that they take out the native kidneys is if, um, like there's polycystic kidneys where they grow. Um, and if they've grown too much, that they're impacting on the other organs around them, they may remove them at that stage. Or if it's a cancerous kidney that's caused your kidney failure. Um, whereas in my case, my kidneys are just screwed-up little walnuts now, <laughs> two, two old dodgy ones. Um, but the new fresh one gets put in uh, at your right hip. There's a little spot there that they can tuck it in nice and neat. And yeah, so I've got one in the front and two in the back.
1: <laughs> so you've got a you've got a turbo boost. Yeah, that's basically
0: it. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that. No, a lot of people that I've met in this journey are just surprised that there's three kidneys now and that they just kept the two native ones because, yeah, if you complain of kidney problems and you're going, oh, it's in the front, they're like, no, 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 your kidneys are in the back. It's like, yeah, the dodgy ones are in the back, the good ones in the front. <laughs> right.
1: As I mentioned earlier, this podcast has been made possible with the support of Isuzu Ute Australia. Having reliable vehicles is imperative in the harsh Australian outback, and Isuzu have provided D-MAX utes and MUX SUVs to pull seven large RFDS flight simulators as they engage in school, community, and field day activities for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. These simulators are full-size planes minus the wings, and the Isuzu D-MAX and MUX vehicles are a perfect match for the long-distance heavy towing demands of these RFDS simulators right across Australia. So keep an eye out for them as they travel around each state and we would love to see photos and locations on our Flying Doctor podcast community Facebook page when you see them. So so you said you were out within three days. It was you know it all went well were the doctors happy with that surgery oh they were extremely happy they were
0: really happy with how everything got on i think brett was sent a photo of my urine output at about 11 o'clock that night and so were a couple of my friends down here from the specialist one of my girlfriends that's had a kidney pancreas transplant she was one of the first ones in the royal adelaide hospital to have that and we've become friends through our kidney disease and, uh, yeah, so she got sent the same photo from our specialist to show that everything was all okay. <laughs> so It's a bit sad when your urine output gets posted around everywhere. but <laughs> yeah.
1: when that becomes the shareable file, it's a bit scary. Yeah. But... <laughs> okay, so doctors were happy, you were happy, and you returned home. And were you excited or were you a bit daunted? You're on this whole sort of immunosuppressant medication program, how were you feeling when you went back home with this, you know, turbo boosted kidney? <laughs> so it was a month in
0: Adelaide that I ended up spending um, after the transplant because every morning you have to go in for daily checkup uh, into the hospital. You have blood tests and they make sure that everything's going okay and off to plan. And me being me, I needed to go shopping on day four because my track pants sat right on the scar line. So it was really irritable. So they asked me to go and find some granny pants. So me and my usual style went shopping in my pajamas with my slippers on on day four of having a major surgery (laughs) to go and find some granny pants to put on to tuck up underneath my boobs so it wasn't anywhere near the scar line. And yeah, so we spent a month up there and we went from daily check-ins to every second day. And then we got to go home when it went to weekly. But then because of the COVID situation, we were only able to come up I think twice after we come home because of the whole COVID situation and increasing and they didn't want us traveling and getting too close because we didn't need our immune systems fighting COVID along with the transplant. So coming home, I sort of wrapped myself up in a little bubble. I did come home and go to my husband's Christmas show on the first Saturday night that we were home. Didn't do much (laughs) because I was still very sore and that sort of thing but it was just nice being out and about like I ended up working from home for seven months just to try and keep myself that bit safer and again like that was with the specialist recommendation as well so it's all been trying to keep myself safe
1: yeah that's very logical very logical now I do want to ask you a bit about COVID because you ended up catching COVID in February is that right yeah I did
0: can you tell me about that what happened Well, I'd been working from home and my daughter had been at dancing and she was deemed a close contact. So at that stage, she had to stay home for, I think it was 10 days with the close contact rules. And so we tested her every second day and did all that. And then when she was finally able to go back to school, because we had to do homeschooling for two weeks. And then she went to dancing on the Wednesday. So she'd only been at school for two days. Then she had to homeschool again for another 10 days. Then she was going back to school finally, and we tested her. She was negative, but I noticed that I started feeling a bit hay feverish, a bit scratchy throat and that sort of thing. So I thought, oh, I'll just have a test just in case. And yeah, first rat test, positive. So I rang Brett and said, oh, he goes, take another one and I'll come straight home because he was still working. So he came and took one. He was negative. He goes, oh, maybe it's a dodgy one. Take another one. All right. So I did another one. Yeah, no, it was positive right I'll go off to the showgrounds go get tested with a proper PCR and then I had to isolate well Lucy got home she started crying because then she was gonna have to stay home again because close contact rules I got the phone call the next day yep yeah, you've tested positive it's like oh my gosh then Brett and Lucy then they both tested again the next day when I found out I was positive they both returned positive results so then they went off and got their PCR done so in the meantime, I started getting a little bit of a cough, nothing major. Um, I rang my specialist, and he said, right, I'll get it organised, and he organised for an infusion that um, transplant recipients and dialysis patients are allowed to have, and we've got to have it within the first five days. The Mount Gambier Hospital here wasn't going to see me until the Monday because this was on a Friday. I think it was Friday afternoon. So naturally, like, oh, I'll wait till Monday. But that was going to be day six. The specialist said, no, no, she has to be done this afternoon. So, yeah, we got in and um, within a couple of hours I'd had the infusion and it just knocked COVID dead in its tracks. I was really tired, still had the sore throat, a little bit of a cough, a little bit of nausea, but really I, I recovered pretty well. They were really happy with how everything went and the fact that, yeah, the infusion just stopped it dead in its tracks. Lucy didn't even know she had it she was still dancing and carrying on for the 10 days of isolation that we all had to do. Brett, he was a bit worn out and just more a bit of a cold than anything. Um, And he was probably the worst out of the three of us. So I was just very lucky that we got onto it before my symptoms had got any worse. So very, very lucky. And, yeah, the specialists are very glad that we got on top of it as early as we did.
1: That's great. And that infusion is um, actual COVID antibodies, so yeah, so it, it really gives you your frontline defense for that specific virus, which is just what you need when you're on, you know, immunosuppressant medication all the time and your poor immune systems being battered around. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of progressing on through the year, is managing a new organ a challenge in terms of preventing new infections? Like do you have to change anything about your day to day activities. You said you were working from home. Was there anything else that you were having to do to make sure that the danger of infections is kept to a, a minimum?
0: I mean, the best thing that we could have ever had is COVID, in a way. Um, just the fact that people were washing their hands, they were using masks, sanitising, keeping distance, sort of. <laughs> Some of I still sort of give them a bit of a look and like, will you back off? <laughs> like, just step away. <laughs> um, but I've noticed that we've become a lot more complacent. And I think this is why we've got such a rise again of COVID cases and flu outbreaks because people are just, eh, she'll be right. So unfortunately, as good as I've tried to keep myself from being infected with anything, somehow I ended up with a gastrotype bug and I'd had it for two weeks where it was just non-stop diarrhea. Um, and I got to a point where I couldn't get warm. I was really, really cold. Went and had a bath and was shaking the whole way through. Didn't realise I actually had a fever. Tested my temperature and it was 39.2. And Brett just said, nah, we need to ring the specialist. We rang him and he said straight to hospital. So we went to the Mount Gambier Hospital and I thought I was talking coherently. But apparently what was in my brain and what was coming out of my mouth... Wasn't what was coming out. (laughs) Oh, wow. So, um, and unfortunately, with the COVID rules, Brett wasn't able to come in and help me. So, I had to go in by myself, and apparently, I was talking gibberish, but I thought I was talking complete, clear English. And um, I ended up in the Mount Gambia Hospital for a week and a half. And it turned out I had a UTI, which I didn't even know I had. I didn't feel any symptoms. Um, it was only that they tested to try and find out what
1: was wrong. A UTI being a urinary tract infection.
0: Yeah, yeah. So normally you feel stinging or whatever when you go to the loo, felt nothing. And then I was talking to Kim, who was the, uh, the recipient of the kidney and pancreas transplant, and she said the only way she knows that she's got a UTI now is through the smell. And I said, oh, I didn't realise, but yeah, my urine did smell different. So now I know that that's how I look out for a UTI because yeah. we don't know whether it's something to do with the transplanted kidney, whether it's a little bit different. We're not sure because she's never felt a UTI either. It's just that she's, when she's tested, she's noticed that her urine smells different. So now we both know what to look out for should this happen again because yeah. my UTI ended up turning into a blood infection, which was E. coli, which caused more issues And then the antibiotics that they gave me to fix those two infections caused a third infection, which was C. diff, which is a much more serious infection, which has caused a bit of damage to my new
1: kidney. Oh, holy moly. I mean, you're mentioning these almost sort of very casually, but otherwise known as sepsis. It can be, you know, having your blood infected uh, with E. coli can actually be fatal, not a good thing and then c diff is caused by a bacteria called clostridium difficile and it results from the disruption of normal healthy bacteria in the colon uh, which is often as you said is as a result of the antibiotics it can cause really severe damage to the colon and it can even be fatal now it comes with all of these come with horrible symptoms danielle so you know diarrhea stomach pain fever all that sort of stuff so what how are you doing? How, how are you travelling through all of this?
0: It wasn't real flash. Um, let's just say I had a burning ring of fire for a fair while. Um, <laughs> it was a really bad night on curry, basically. Um, it wasn't good. I think I described it on one of my Facebook posts as I was concerned I was going to lose a lung, and I think I've got rid of everything that I've eaten since I was about age five. So it's been oh, you're full kidding. on. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Yeah, no, it hasn't been pleasant. And then we thought it was all sort of fixed because they'd hooked me up to a lot of drips. Um, So I had potassium placed back in, uh, magnesium. I'd even had phosphate bags put in as well as fluids because I was obviously quite dehydrated. I can say that potassium ones are awful. They burn the veins. We worked out that I'm better off to have those put in a bag of fluid and instead of being a couple hours drip it ends up being like it can be an 8, 10 or 12 hour drip which is a lot more tolerable on the body. Uh, Magnesium's not so bad that's only about an hour for each bag but yeah the potassium one is nasty. So they sent me home and I was home for two weeks and I rang the specialist and just said hey look I haven't heard from anyone just wondering how my blood tests are. So he asked me to have a blood test and he said, I'll ring you on Thursday. So we were talking and just catching up like we usually do because I've known him since I was 19. So he's part of the family, you know, part of the furniture. And um, then he got serious and he's like, nah, you need to come to Adelaide again because I was sent up to Adelaide by the Royal Flying Doctors um, on my previous admission because at the Mount Gambier Hospital, I was there for a week and a half And they got to a point where it was too much for them. So the Royal Flying Doctors come and pick me up at midnight. And I had two lovely older gentlemen that took me. They were just wonderful, the two old fellas. They were like a married old couple. They were quite funny. And yeah, and because of the ramping and stuff in Adelaide, I ended up staying on one of the little layout couch things in the base at Adelaide for, uh, I think... I got to Adelaide about quarter to two and I think they were able to finally get an ambulance for me to take me to the Royal Adelaide at 4.30 in the morning. So, and yeah, they'd had a couple of other patients come in while I was there. So they were busy. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, and then after Adelaide sent me home, because they thought everything was okay, like my kidney levels looked good. Yeah. Two weeks later, I rang the specialist and said, I'm still not feeling great. And he's like, nah, you've got to come up to Adelaide again and we're going to do a kidney biopsy to see what's going on because there's something not adding up here. So Brett and I chuffed off in the car again
1: on a Friday night. It always seems to happen on a Friday. Have you noticed that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Timing. Timing is everything.
1: You head off with Brett and you're going to find out what's going on and why, why these blood results are showing something unusual with kidney function.
0: Yeah, because I'd had two weeks off of diarrhoea, so or it's still sort of on and off, but it wasn't like what it was when I was in hospital that first time. So we checked in to the Royal Adelaide at uh, midnight on the Saturday morning and so they put the cannula in and hooked me up to a drip to get me some more fluids and they ran a potassium bag and they ran magnesium then they ran ran a oh, i can't think of what it was called but basically it's a calcium bag but it's to do the opposite of what my body's doing so at the moment i've got a 2.6 centimeter nodule i'm a parathyroid that's causing my parathyroid to say oh we haven't got any calcium in the blood we need to take it from our bones and put it into a bloodstream yet my calcium in my bloodstream is way over the top. So this calcium bag that they gave me was to try and get rid of the calcium that's in my blood and to try and tell the parathyroid, nah, we've got plenty, leave the calcium in the bones. So that's basically what this calcium bag was. I was still fine, no diarrhea. The Sunday they said, look, you're looking good. How about you go outside, go for a walk and you know, get some air. All right, excellent. So we went for a walk, got back into the hospital, we'd only been out for half an hour nothing major 4:30 that afternoon i start vomiting it's like oh okay here we go four o'clock that morning i'm up and i've got diarrhea and it's just constantly every half hour i'm up and going and it's like okay something's weird's going on so then this happened for quite a few days so they were trying to stop that so they tested me for c diff again just to see whether it reappeared they tested me for other ones because For some reason, as a dialysis slash transplant patient, the minute you get into Adelaide, to the Royal Adelaide, you get to do three swabs. So the first one's COVID, obviously. The second one is a nasal swab. And then the third one is a butt swab. So every time. (laughs) And it's to test for a virus that can be found in the butt. And that was clear. So I'd sort of tricked them again. They've No idea why I've started diarrhea again. Yeah, so then they found that in the blood tests, I was getting rid of all my potassium, all my magnesium, all this stuff was happening again, and my kidney function was going through the roof again. Oh, it wasn't through the roof. It wasn't a good number for me because when I was well, it was around, like my creatinine level was around 80 to 90, which is really good. So that gave me about a 77 to 80% function. So that's really good for someone with technically one kidney, even though it's three. <laughs> and then with all this diarrhea, it was starting to cause issues. So my creatinine was creeping up to like 180 and my kidney function had gone down to 33%. So it's a pretty oh, huge no. drop in what's so, going so- on.
1: So your your turbo boost is now being compromised. There's the, yeah. nearly, there's, there was the chance then that your new third kidney was not coping with what was going on. Yeah,
0: struggling. What did the doctors say? Well, they were just trying to work out what was going on. That was the main issue, to work out why I was having diarrhoea, why I was still vomiting, why I was getting rid of all this potassium because they thought that maybe the potassium and the magnesium was coming out through the diarrhoea. Well then, they got on top of the diarrhea. Once they worked out, there was no infections causing it. They weren't quite sure what was going on. Now, they were able to give me gastrostop, So that sort of put an end to all the diarrhea side of things. And once they got that fine, and that there was no C. diff infection or anything, because their biggest issue was to do a kidney biopsy. But with a kidney biopsy, because they're technically stabbing the kidney with a needle, They didn't want an infection sitting outside to go through when they tested the kidney. So they had to make sure I was clear of any bacteria or viruses. So they ended up doing the kidney biopsy last Wednesday just to see what was going on because they've worked out that maybe it's the kidney that's getting rid of the potassium and the magnesium because the magnesium helps keep the potassium in.
1: So it's all connected. They all work together, all of these Yeah, it's amazing
0: what you can find out from a blood test. (laughs) Yeah. So the kidney biopsy results came back and I've got sleepy parts of the kidney, there's a little bit of scarring, and where they took the biopsy, there must be a reasonable amount of scarring just in that little section. So the biopsy was showing that there's 50% scarring, but the specialist said it's not that because your kidney still looks really healthy. But just where they obviously took that biopsy from, it must have been a bit of a scarred part. So the scarred part won't ever recover. That's just what's happened to it. And that's from the viruses. But yeah, so there's a little bit of sleepiness. There's um, calcium that's gone in it and that's through the parathyroid doing
1: it. Essentially, your new kidney has been compromised as a consequence of the terrible year of infections it's had.
0: But the good news is no rejection. There is no signs of any rejection. So that was my biggest fear because they went to do the ultrasound on the Monday and they weren't able to because they noticed that it had dilated and that was what was scaring them a little bit. They weren't sure what was going on, why it had dilated. So then they did a proper ultrasound that Monday. Then on the Tuesday, I did the nuclear scan so they could see what was actually going on through the kidney and then with the kidney biopsy once they got the okay from the surgeons to be able to biopsy it then they were able to actually find out what was going on through that yeah at the moment it's all just about trying to keep up the potassium and the magnesium fluids and they gave me another bag of this calcium stuff to um try and buy some more time till i'm able to have the parathyroid um nodule removed holy moly so so it was a level two waiting. For that one and they're trying to get it to a level one because they can see that the um, parathyroid is actually causing damage to my kidney so now that they've got the proof to show it yeah i should be able to get moved up on the waiting list to get it removed
1: so how does this make you i mean it's all we're talking very clinically here about your body how are you coping with all of this danny because it's there you are you've got your two little walnut kidneys and then you're Turbo, you know, kidney that's sitting there at the front that is now struggling, and you've got this little tumor in your neck that's benign but is causing issues with calcium. How are you feeling about it? Are you just over it all, or are you still optimistic? Um. uh, Sorry. It's okay.
0: It's it's been a shock, and I'm still optimistic. It's still so raw, seeing as it was only last week. I'll try and pull my stuff together.
1: It's okay, it's okay.
0: I do come across as I'm all over it, but I'm still a person and I still get upset. Um, I do try to cope with humour and my Facebook posts are full of humour. Um... very rarely let this side through because I find it hard to deal with. Um, Only certain people ever get to see this side of me because I like to be strong. I like to hold it together for my daughter because I don't ever like showing her that I'm upset because I like to make her feel that everything is okay even though inside I'm absolutely screaming. Yeah it's one of those things that I find hard to show, which I think most people don't like letting their guard down because it shows you as
1: vulnerable. And I like to feel like I'm resilient and strong. You are, Danny, you are one of the most courageous and resilient people I have ever met, honestly. Um, and i I can completely understand where you're at. i'm I'm sorry to. Have upset you there asking a touchy question
0: no you want the real me so this is me my it's husband such... sees this side of me so I don't know how he is going I don't know how he handles it but he hands it, handles it so
1: well well it sounds like he's a brilliant rock for you as and helps to provide that foundation for you as you go through this challenge because it's it's such a roller coaster isn't it it's up and down you know there's a okay great we've got a new kidney oh bugger i got covid oh we're through that we've got the infusion of antibodies for covid oh bugger i've got a uti oh it's okay we've got antibiotics fix that oh bugger you know (laughs) it's 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 this Uh, sort of never-ending journey but um it's a roller coaster yeah it is a roller coaster
0: i'd like to get off at some point (laughs)
1: Hmm. if I was in your shoes which I'm not but if I was in your shoes I would end up talking to that kidney and (laughs) say you hang in there you you're in there you've got the best shot you know I'm really relying on you you know you hang in there do you do you ever do that I mean it sounds silly but do you ever talk to your kidney and reassure it and tell it it's it's okay we're relying on you hang in there oh yeah me and Billy we've had words We've had some very stern words lately. <laughs> so you call him Billy?
0: Billy the yep. Kid? Billy yep. the Kid Billy the Kid Knee, yeah. <laughs> just a stupid dad joke. But uh, as I've told you previously, uh, my daughter wanted to call it the hip knee because that's where it is. But I preferred Billy. And, uh, like, I've just always had a feeling that it was a male. But then I thought she was going to be male. So <laughs> my guess is a uh, real flash, but, you know, 50-50 chance. But yeah. no, we've definitely had some words, and lately we've had quite a few. And I, I do talk to Billy. I just hope that I'm doing Billy and his family proud. Yeah. Um, as hard as I'm fighting for him, and I've tried to do everything I can to make sure that everything is working well, like I've even lost weight to try and make myself healthier and, you know, trying to do everything right and you still get something go wrong. Yeah. So yeah, it's just one of those things, but it's onwards and upwards, you know. You've just got to put your big girl knickers on and not your blue electric g-string, <laughs> your big girl undies, you know, the nano ones, and put them on and get in and do what you've got to do.
1: But you're not on dialysis anymore, right? So there's, no. so, I mean, that is a major, major change from being yeah. on dialysis four times a day to no longer being on that you are on the improve it's just oh my gosh
0: oh being able to go and watch my daughter play sport you know you're not trying to organize going out for dinner with friends in between bag like bag changes and not having to cut all your stuff to a friend's house to go do dialysis like that was a huge shock in itself and the amount of time I've picked up through the day and not having to do it like I'm forever grateful for the gift that I've got. And, you know, it's just amazing what it's done to our family. Like being able to just go for a drive in the car and not having to plan out exactly how long we can be and how far we can go. We can actually go for a full day and go do something. You know, it's just, it's amazing. It really is. And I do not miss dialysis at all. And I think that's probably half the reason I get upset too is because I really don't want to ever go back on it. I know one day it may happen and it may have to happen and it won't be the way that I did it. It'll have to be the hemodialysis, so where you're hooked up to the machine and it cleans your blood. That I really don't enjoy. And I know that one day it may happen. I'm hoping it's not till I'm like 70 or 80. So Billy's got a lot of work to do. Hang in there, Billy. Together, basically. (laughs) (laughs) It's not giving me the shits. (laughs)
1: Literally. Oh, Danny, I'm going to check in on you again in a year or so. I want to make sure that Billy the Kidney is pulling his weight and looking after you, and I want to get an update on you and Lucy and Brett in your new home, and, yeah, you'll be hearing from me. Oh, can't wait for it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Danny. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with family and friends, and don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also join our new Facebook group called The Flying Doctor Podcast Community where you can chat to other listeners. And please do try out our new podcast hotline. You can call and leave an audio message with questions and feedback on the podcast. The number for the hotline is 02-8405-7928. We look forward to hearing from you. The Flying Doctor Podcast was presented by me, Lana Mitchell, and senior producer is Mandy Cullen. Thanks again for listening. G'day, this is Steve from New South Wales and I just wanted to say how I've been enjoying the stories in this series. Good stuff. Thanks, guys. Before I head off, I just want to thank one last time our sponsor and major national partner, Izuzu Ute Australia. Izuzu is committed to supporting the communities in which the RFDS operates and this podcast would not be possible without their support. To learn more, search Izuzu Ute online.